What's going on, everybody? It's Mitch from RespectMargin.com here with their episode of the RMR podcast. I know we just ran an episode talking to some people from the East Coast today. That now we're moving on to a new episode with a guest coming from Colorado, Eve of Olio. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am okay, man. It's it's this is the first time I've had, or not the first, the, the first time in a while I've had someone from Colorado on here. I, I'm always upset at you guys because you guys beat us slightly to the punch of recreational cannabis. I, I live in Washington, and so you got you guys are the only reason I can't say you know the first state to legalize. I'm always like, yeah, we're right behind Colorado. Um, but I know your your roots date uh, uh, adult use, and every guest I start off with their origin story around the plant. So I'm I'm curious, kind of your personal uh, your personal origin story with with cannabis. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I first started smoking weed right when I graduated high school. Um, funny enough, it was like pretty much the day after I graduated. I decided to smoke a joint with my friends. Um, I ended up going to University of Colorado at Boulder, so that led to a lot uh, more uh, influence and a lot more. Uh, experience with that being in Boulder. Um, I was lucky enough to be there right as uh, the medical scene started really picking up in the late 2000s. I was lucky enough also to basically intern for a shop. Uh, There was a cannabis cup or a cannabis like uh, event going on. I worked it for free just to get a ticket, became friends with the owners, then started working trimming in the shop or trimming for them and kind of working my way up. This is before there were badges or really much for like actual regulations. Um, So that was all in Boulder really fun. Uh, while I was, once I graduated college, I started, I uh, picked up glass blowing, which was super influential for me. Um, I was able to become close with a couple glass blowers, um, tricky glass works out of, uh, here in Colorado. Uh, I was able to apprentice underneath and he introduced me to a lot of, uh, the higher end glass blowers in the scene. Um, also at that time is when, uh, cannabis extracts were really starting to really hit the scene with BHO. Um, so I started really being interested in making those types of pipes and those types of rigs. And with that, um, consuming hash or BHO. And so with that, I became close with a dispensary and a couple people um, that was the greenest green in Boulder. That was the primordial 710 labs worked with them, um, to kind of help get everything going, uh, with BHO and everything like that. in one of the first regulated labs in Colorado, as time grew on, we kind of saw there was a desire for solventless, but it was definitely uh, small. Um, and we just kind of picked it up from there. And then I guess it's kind of trend. My, my story is pretty much the Olio story because it's I've just been working um, in the cannabis industry with this and it's been really fun. But from there, uh, we shut down Boulder and we after doing some trips to uh, Seattle, um, honestly, and doing some fun meeting with a bunch of glassblowers out there and kind of seeing the scene out there. We saw what uh, kind of the future was looking like and the big move to solventless um, and being in Colorado, we were always preaching. So um, at this point, we were doing a lot of fresh frozen for BHO in uh, 2015, 2016. And this is when Olio kind of trans- uh, started. Um, seven, uh, we split off, uh, became our own company in the same facility and all that. And we started pr- processing uh, more live resin and our rosin and live resin, or sorry, live resin and live rosin, um, working with solventless uh, more so. And just really kind of pushing the envelope on that. and working with new consistencies and branching out into new product lines. Um, so it's really been fun because it's been a long journey and it's been consistent and just kind of growing. And now being with Olio or being where we're at in the, in the company, it's, 
we've been able to have a bunch of different product lines. We're able to come out with a new edible line that's been fun, um, as well as focusing on a bunch of other things. So it might be a little bit rambly, but yeah, it was, no. it was, it's been a long, long process, but it's, it's definitely been fun. That's not, it's perfect. And, and I love, you know, you, you gave Seattle a little bit of flower, like I said, I'm from Washington. So, you know, you, you, you gave us a little bit of love without me having to bring it up. Our last episode, the Prez was giving Washington some love on the cannabis while me bringing it up. So Washington gets some, some shout outs from our guests across the country today. That, that's always a good look. Um, but, you know, along with, you know, I was joking a little bit earlier about how Colorado was the, the first state to have adult use. Obviously, you know, you guys had medical for a while, you know, a lot of states have had a, a pretty vibrant, if you will, an accessible medical program predating that. And then, you know, I'm sure a lot of us ha have have our ties to the the legacy, non-medical non legacy market. Um, but being that Colorado is the first state to have recreational cannabis, something that I've noticed from, from the outside and not being super inside of extraction, but it seems like a lot of the extraction tech all started in Colorado. It seems like some, not just the extraction tech company who I know builds machines, but a lot of the like processes really started out there. And is that something you would say is like accurate from, from being out there? It kind of seems like it really on a massive level concentrates really started to get steam out of Colorado in terms of like scalability. Yeah. I mean, on the, on the solvent based side of things, you had a handful of companies out of here, um, California, as well as Michigan. And I think Washington as well. Um, but then when I believe rosin really got, got discovered, if you want to call it that, in early 2015, when people realized they could use their girlfriend's hair straightener to press some um, coffee filters with some ice wax and get a really good product. Um, I think right around then is right around when you really saw recreational products taking off in Colorado being um, a state that had a lot and being centrally located, I think, was also a huge um, help for people because being in Colorado, if you're trying to ship to any state, it's pretty easy or centrally located. But yeah, no, we've definitely seen and it, and we've we've benefited uh, from a company standpoint, definitely with, uh, uh, you know, low temp plates as well as uh, the Pikes Peak. And, the, you know, I can't think of the uh, the, uh, the groups here in Colorado locally in the Denver and, and Commerce City area. It's really been nice because when they have new products, we've been able to work with them to kind of R&D them and figure out feasibility and scalability and as well as if we have any issues they've been super helpful um you know reaching out to us and i think it's it's been very beneficial and it's been fun because when you're first trying these things out and you're doing and you're trying to figure out scalability it's hard when you don't have the infrastructure and you, you've never had um companies that are willing to work with the cannabis industry a lot of the times it's been you know previously it's been kind of figuring out other ways to retrofit systems and now with the money behind the cannabis industry and how it's become part of american culture even more so there's been a lot more uh professionalism to a degree but also just a lot more uh, industrial minds putting their thought processes to figure out how to make rosin at a larger scale and still keep it very high quality because that's the one thing that you know we definitely want to make sure is that we're putting out high quality products first and foremost absolutely and that and that scalability has been you know it's the name of any business right you have a business you have a product you got to scale you know grow you're either growing or you're dying i can't remember who said that but when it comes to cannabis you know nobody pre-legalization pre nobody's really grown at scale i mean obviously there's been you know certain certain uh, undercover grows at, at scale, but really at the scale that we're growing to, there has not been many or those that have done efficiently. And like you said, in a traditional system grown at scale. And then when you look at concentrates and processing, a lot of people haven't done that at scale. And as the market continues to mature, these new products pop out. When we first had concentrates, it was, 
you know, a lot of BHO. And then we, some people came out with some CO2 and different types. And then we moved into the different concentrate types. I know it kind of seemed it went from shack shatter to a couple different forms. And then we get live resin and diamonds and then moving into hash, but the game's kind of evolving as scalability isn't always dialed in and figured out. Do you ever feel a pressure from like, like the manufacturing side to like not only understand a new form of concentrate, but to understand the scale scalability real quick, or is it really just about figuring out how to make these products, making them to the most quality and then worrying about scalability kind of afterwards? Um, it, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, you know, we, we were one of the first companies here in Colorado to release an uncut pure solventless rosin cart, live rosin cart. That's the same material that's you're grabbing in a gram um, just in cart form. Mm. And honestly, we had to R&D so many different carts and go through such a process just to figure out how it worked. We wanted to release that product a lot longer, a lot earlier than we did, but just to get something that we could stand behind took a long time. While we were doing that, it allowed us to figure out that scalability. So that was a benefit to that. Um, Cause while we were doing that, you know, you figure out all the tricks and the trip um, and how to do things quicker. Um, but at the same time, like, Sometimes when we figured out how to make uh, the rosin jam consistency or when you figure out any new product line, basically, and there's a huge demand for it, um, you never know what the true demand is until you can kind of get a couple sales weeks through it and see where where the stores are at, what the uptake is. Because, you know, from us as a wholesaler, we don't have direct contact with the with the people consuming our product outside of like Instagram or reviews, um, feedback forms and when we have events. But otherwise, we're pretty much dealing with bud tenders and purchasing managers. So to make sure that we can get the line of communication through them back to the production team and figure everything out and what people are liking, what people aren't liking and what the market wants um, is something that definitely is a feedback loop that we try to, to speed up because we wanna make sure that we get the products that people like, but we also wanna introduce new products and educate them in a way that's um, approachable for all. Cause that's one thing we don't want cannabis to be exclusive um, as this as everything gets more popular and as people become more aware of it, we want things to be approachable for people so that they don't get scared away um, from trying this great plant, that the more of them are introduced to it and interested in it and able to try it out. Absolutely. And when it talks about, like you said, that, you know, the rosin card was something you had to R&D for a while. And I'm, I know you're, you know, I'm assuming it's your role R&D and, and getting, getting the product where you want and figuring out the process to scale that is a big part of your job. What what all goes into R and D? Because I think maybe the average consumer like R and D to cannabis company. That means you just smoke products all day and figure out what's the best. But obviously, there's a lot more, especially when you're talking about you know a con making a concentrate right and, and systematized and process, and then putting that inside of hardware and having a low failure rate. So what are, what are all those components that go into R and D that that uh, you know the average consumer might not think of? Yeah, it really depends on the product line. But, you know, for rosin carts, for instance, it's constantly changing. Uh, there's new technology coming out. Rosin our cartridges basically start from e-cigarette technology and then got adapted by um, some people in the cannabis industry. And now they're realizing that they can rework them and make proprietary internals and things that actually make sense. Um, so that's been hugely helpful because there's technology constantly changing. I'd say at least twice a week, I'll have a cart vendor that we work with or that we know reach out to us saying that there's something new that we have to try. Um, there's new testing regulations from the state every week, and sometimes they're not obvious, and we have to figure out how we put them into implementation. Um, there's uh, expiration dates that we have to put on our cartridges right now, and it's up to us to figure out the testing requirements and how we would do it and to prove it. So we basically make a batch and hold extra of them and test them each month. Um, and by testing them, it's not us smoking them. It's us sending them into a testing laboratory for them to test them for potency to make sure that it's all equal and stays. Nothing changes. It stays shelf stable. 
So we're not just putting some random expires by date on a product that actually has some scientific you know, thought process behind it. But it's not like the state told us how to do that. We have to come up with those things. Um, and then when it comes to consistency, R&D is, uh, you know, for pr new products, shelf stability, holding on the product to make sure that you see how it looks in a gram if it's been sitting there for a week, a month, two months, three months, um, what the terpenes are like, what the flavors changes. And, you know, with that, it definitely comes with some smoking of it. But then that's still everything has to be tested. It has to be sent out to um, a, a store. It has to be picked up through a legal process like that. So it slows everything down. It's not like previous you know, previous days or, you know, in the past where you can just kind of sample it as you go, everything is done. It's not a kitchen where you can just lick the back of the spoon, you know, um, if you're just cooking a, the sauce or something like that, this is definitely something that you really have to, um, everything gets fully tested. Um, we just came out with a new live res, our new live rosin edible line and that it's just a whole new product line and a whole new, like you think you're making a gummy. Then when you realize you're working with a certain ingredient like pectin all of a sudden it's more of a chemistry recipe than it is anything else mm. um getting the bite the consistency the flavor the color um all that so it really depending on the product line but it's it's really like we're all very passionate people at olio we're all a lot of us all of us pretty much all of us are consumers i want to say um in one form or another so we definitely want to make sure that we have our our groups and our focus groups and our our the people that we work with and the bud tenders that give us feedback on these things too so that we can work a product to get it more feasible um, and figure out what's 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 logistically possible too because you know we have to do fulfillment we have to do all these other things in the background that people don't realize when it comes to packaging and ordering supplies and all that and the more you the more uh, convoluted you make that the much harder it gets especially with today's supply chain issues and everything going on in the world you never know when something might run out or you have to find a new source for it so Streamlining things is important, but R&Ding, it, we always want to make the best products, so we're always trying to find ways to in, improve our products in different ways. Absolutely. And, and and with that, I know you mentioned the the new live, uh, you said live rosin gummy, correct? That's the one with uh, day, day three labs? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, a live a live edible is what we're calling it um, for, with day three labs. They have a, they're a really cool group. Um, they're a, a Denver-based cannabis package goods group that uh, has proprietary technology that they were able to purchase and work with. Uh, they have a lab in Israel that's been working on this technology for the past six years. Um, so they kind of look at cannabis differently in Israel. It's all straight medical. It's prescribed to you strain specific. The strain does this for you and the strain does that for you. So um, the technology behind it and their kind of thought process for figuring out the problems of edibles um, has been really eye-opening and, and fun to kind of mess with and bring to the market. And I think I was, I was reading that it was, uh, protein encapsulated, right? Is, is that correct? Uh, uh, it's not, it's protein. It's basically, um, the, the way this product works is that if you look at a, a protein molecule or a protein, um, underneath a microscope, um, it kind of looks like a raisin. So it has a lot of nooks and crannies and little spaces in it. And with this technology, they're able to basically tuck cannabis, uh, THC, on, on minor cannabinoids, as well as terpenes in those nooks and crannies. Um, so when your body, when you digest it, your body is given a protein. Um, usually when you eat cannabis, it's cannabis is a, or THC is a fat. That's why you always bind it to uh, an oil to help uptake um, and it, it binds to it. So with that, it just goes to a fat storage site. It takes a long time to um, activate up to two hours, three hours. That's why you have that long wait time for edibles to kick in. And then on top of that, you'll also have the issue where um, that Delta-9 THC goes through your liver and the first pass is converted 
to delta or to 11 hydroxy thc i believe mm. um, i'm not a scientist so don't quote me on this but this is kind of the, the what I've, we've been working with and so with that you kind of get that same lethargic kind of yeah. couch locky sedative effects from edibles which is wonderful but it takes a long time to kick in as well as that's not always the desired effect sure. and that uh you don't get strain specific effects because all your terpenes are just destroyed in your stomach acids and through your digestive process so you're not really going to get a true strain specific effect um, with these since the protein protects it it actually bypasses that first pass um, in your liver and is able to be get into your bloodstream and go into your endocannabinoid system with the terpenes um, the minor cannabinoids and the thc in there so that you can start feeling more strain specific effects as well as um, unique kind of effects between edibles and it's we're seeing a, a faster onset. We don't want to call it a fast onset because this really depends on your metabolism, what you've eaten and stuff like that. Um, and we really want to focus on the fact that you get a much different high. Mm. Um, it's something that's unique to this because every time you've eaten an edible, it's always been an 11 hydroxy, whereas this you're actually getting the Delta nine. So we're kind of, it, it's unique and it's fun. It's more of a daytime. It's manageable. Um, people are really enjoying them. And so we're looking to really kind of upping production on it as in, as well as looking into what other product lines we could get into with it. Because, um, when we made the, our gummy, we wanted to make sure that we did that because it's, it's the easy form factor. Everybody's, uh, a lot of people are familiar with gummies. It's the largest segment of edibles in the market, I believe. Um, it's the most competitive too, but because of that, we felt like this would really show us how it does and how people are enjoying it. But we wanted to minimize the amount of sugar in it because we know not everybody wants to have a whole bunch of sugar in their system. If you're eating them before bed or if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're trying to help you fall back asleep, the last thing you want is to have a sugar rush. So we didn't coat them in sugar um, and we tried to minimize and we put the best ingredients possible. Um, we're sourcing our colors from a great company that basically grows all different carrots and vegetables and then does extracts to get those mm -hmm. colors out. Um, the flavorings, all natural flavorings that we're getting, there are a few purees from a great company. Um, we're using pectin because it gives us a nice bite um, and a nice consistency as well as it doesn't melt in your car, which is an issue on hot days like today in Denver. Um, and then, you know, we're trying to focus on, like I said, the high quality ingredients. And then the protein that's used currently is a whey protein. So it is an animal based protein. Um, so it's not a vegan gummy right now, but we are working with are um, they, they I should say day three labs is R&D uh, a couple of their proteins that we're really looking forward to, um, including a hemp protein, which would be really cool if we can wrap THC or ripe uh, hemp and put a whole, not wrap, but put a whole bunch of, you know, THC and cannabinoids inside of a hemp protein so that hmm. you're just getting cannabis. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. I, I know that's been the big move or a lot of the, the, the gummies they say are vegan, but I get obviously having a protein that, that complicates it. Uh, but no, it sounds super interesting and it makes me, man, it makes me, you know, I gotta, I gotta go get out to Colorado and try one of these things. So that's definitely something that I've been curious over the last like years. So I feel like, you know, certain states, California's done it more than up in Washington where I live, but started to market the live resin gummy and then the live rosin gummy and providing rather than just a distillate, right? These other means of, of ingesting and getting that more, like you said, more cannabinoids, which provides like, you know, you want to be tricky. Like if it's just me to a friend, like, yeah, it might get you higher. That might be how I describe it. That might not be the proper way. It's like you feel the entourage effects more or you, you get more of those cannabinoids. So it's going to hit you. I think you, I can't remember what you said, but like hit you differently is, is basically the better way of describing it rather than harder. Um, so I've personally been just like really intrigued by that. Um, so this sounds, I don't know, this sounds really cool, man. I got, I got to try one of these. 
No, definitely. And it's really cool because we're using the same quality rosin that we put in our batches um, in our in our edibles. We haven't lined it up yet, but we plan on lining it up where we should like this is like we on our batch labels for our edibles. It says the batch number and the strain that is in the in the edible. Um, and we want to and those batches, if you line it up right, you'll be able to purchase them right now with production. Everything's not lining up perfectly, but we definitely want to release some batches where, you know, this slurricane number one that's in this gram or that's in this gram that you're buying to smoke is also in this package of mm. edibles. So you're getting the exact same input material, you know, where we want to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward. It gives our broadest spectrum of cannabinoids, terpenes, and everything else in the product, in the plant. And uh, that's just what we really wanted to do. We're looking forward to kind of working with live resin and possibly some other things, but we wanted to work with rosin because of the broad spectrum. Um, you know, distillate, it, it's fun for its certain aspects, but it just gives you a very specific type effect. Um, and with these, it kind of gives you something that's a little more um nuanced yeah yeah i like that it's not it's not ever not dissolute because a lot of that there's a lot of cool edibles out there made with dissolute but uh, i'm definitely intrigued by by the hash rosin and, and on the on that concept of just like hash rosin is as concentrates have continued to mature and these these new types have come out rosin is usually you know there, there's a significant amount of waste you know when you're looking at at squishing squishing this stuff and and, and the yield right what you're getting from a raw flower uh, weight wise versus rosin. How long did it take for you guys at Olio to like look at rosin and enjoy it from a connoisseur perspective and a, and a user perspective to like it starting to become okay, this is a viable product skew? Because obviously at the start, it was you didn't get a lot of yield, there wasn't a lot of demand, uh, the prices were so high, the consumers weren't really there. But we've kind of seen the market change, you know, the prices have come down, we're seeing more input out there. What was that timeline of you guys discovering rosin and being excited about it? And then the market catching up and being excited about it as well? Um, honestly, I'd say because of how we we're able to kind of position it and what we we're able to do, it pretty much took off immediately. And mm -hmm. it was figuring out how much more we could make. Um, we had a large stable of genetics. And so we we're able to find a handful of strains that were able to kind of check off some boxes. And with the price points that everything was going for back in, you know, the days when everything was first coming out, BHO was selling for a high price point, Rosin was selling for a high price point. So it, it, it kind of made sense. Um, it was definitely difficult at times because you only had a handful of strains and people got tired of them. You know, like Cookies and Cream was one that we were working with a bunch back then. Um, there was a star dog that we still work with today that we worked with back then. We tried washing, you know, we tried washing everything, everything from Tange Haze, Lemon G, stuff that is straight sativas that is great in BHO. But, you know, nowadays we like laugh at the idea of doing it. We're just like, well, screw it. We don't know. At that point, we didn't know what was causing a plant to wash and what wasn't. You know, logic was thrown out the door when you saw something that looked beautiful and super covered in trikes and then you washed it and you got nothing out of it. Hmm. Um, you know, and then you wash something that was kind of looking like, all right, I don't know, it's a little larfy, but it has some trikes on it and you get 4% on it. And back then we were excited at two and a half, three and 4% on the wash. Now, you know, we're getting excited when we see seven or 8% and we're getting great terps with it. You know, we always want to make sure that the terpenes come with it nowadays, but um, for once we get it, once we got started, it was, we were able to, when Olio was first getting going with the rosin, and we still like to do it, we're, we're planning on a couple to that um, soon or in the near future, ideally. Um, but we did some fun collabs with glass blowers locally here in Denver, or locally here to Colorado. Uh, luckily, being here in Colorado, there's an amazing group of glass blowers up in Evergreen, and we were able to work with uh, Nate Myers, Elbow, uh, Avatar, Lions Glass, Punty, and a whole bunch of others, just supporting them, and it kind of helped get our name out amongst the connoisseurs um, because 
at the time, rosin was definitely, I mean, it's still considerably more expensive than anything else on the menu usually. And uh, it's something that people have to get into and work their way up to. But um, when people are enjoying a $10,000, $20,000 rig, it usually makes, they're not fighting a 60, 70, $80 gram. Um, but it, it was fun working with that and doing that and kind of helping build the brand and build up the amount of uh, interest in getting the name out there. Um, but I think that it was really, it was getting that conversion going. And then as the word got out and as you spiel, as you kind of pushed, I think being in Colorado also helped. People out here tend to be healthier and like to be healthy. They like to be active. They're aware of what they're eating. They're aware of what they're enjoying. Um, so with that, I think you saw people kind of being conscious of what they're smoking and what the uh, what was going on the plants. And then also with that, with extracts, um, you saw with rosin, you know, you couldn't hide your sins in the garden at all. You have to have a clean, really high-end, clean, like dialed in garden to produce high end rosin um, and you really can't hide it. Um, so that's, I think that's also something that helped. And lastly, I'd say in being in Colorado, um, we've always pushed people to freeze their flour because it's so dry out here. Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to get a, a good cure on flour out here. And so we've always wanted to produce hash. That's always been my argument as somebody that was talking to growers across the street, talking and getting them to freeze it. So I think that was something else too. That's something I noticed as a consumer, I, you know, I always be admittedly a baby dabber, but I, I, I enjoy my flower greatly. And, you know, I didn't know if it was the, the humidity or what, but when I went out to Colorado, it was a couple of years ago, I, I struggled to find flower that really like, I'm not saying it was all bad. I, I talked a little bit of shit here and there, but I found, I found, I had to struggle finding flower that really matched up what I, what I like on the West coast. But I noticed that the concentrates, game out there was crazy like crazy i was seeing stuff back then this is man this is probably like 2017 2018 i remember seeing concentrates like the color and the product types that i feel like even i didn't even really see in washington or, or early on like and so is that is that kind of a nature you kind of hit that right you were saying like out here the climate we push people to, to freeze it is that something that you feel like is kind of geographic that has maybe pushed colorado to really do concentrates well because it's like e almost I don't want to call it easier, but a uh, more manageable maybe than, than carrying flour. I felt that way to a degree because it is so hard out here. And then when it comes to building out, since we were one of the first, you know, with, you know, uh, Washington legalizing it, when people were building out warehouses at the time, it was still, even during the medical days, nobody wanted to rent you a warehouse. Then when it was recreational, it was just a cash grab. Nobody wanted to rent you their nice warehouse. It was too expensive. They didn't want you to wreck it. They didn't know if it was to become illegal the next day. Who knows what happens if there's a change in the White House? Like it was a huge concern across the board. So you were getting these shitty warehouses or you're getting like areas that you're just like, fuck, we can't really figure this out or it just doesn't work. It's too humid or this area is too damp. Um, you know, because I will it's weird. Colorado still does have issues with mold, um, bud rot and stuff like that. But it's it's a lot easier for people to over dry it out here because of relative humidity and everything else. And so it's something that I realized being in the cannabis industry out here for a long time. Then I started pushing forward towards a lot of my growers. If I had great growers that were growing a lot of fireweed that I was seeing the dispensers and people being excited about, I'd literally DM them on Instagram or get their number from somebody that I knew and reach out to them and be like, are you freezing anything? And they'd always be like, no, we're not interested in that. I'm like, all right, listen, I can like, I mean, there's multiple parts to it. A, you don't have to worry about that, but also you don't have to worry about cure time. You don't have to worry about space for your flower hanging. You don't have to worry about anything going wrong with that or trimming it to the degree that people 
really, you know, really want to see it. We still trim our buds down great. And 95% of it, like, I mean, I feel everything people would want to smoke. Some of it looks a little bit larfier because we don't care about bud structure and like the look of a, the, the top pretty nugget because it's getting washed um, or getting blasted. But it's, it allowed, um, it allowed me to argue with, or not argue, but, you know, like negotiate with growers where it's like, if you freeze this flower, by the time that you dry your crop, your crop, um, trim it and put it in bags and put it to market, I can have you paid for it because we'll pick it up. I'll pay COD for it. Or even if you give me net seven on it so that I can just run up or send a check to you because the accountant's offsite or whatever it is, like there would be ways that, and then it just started making sense to them. And then when they started seeing that they could sell the flower and then also have the hash that represents it. And it looks really good. Um, because also, like I said, you can't, you really can't hide bad flour. Like you can't hide shitty grown flour with hash, um, with BA or with, uh, with rosin. If it, once you're squishing it, there's not much you can do. You can try, you can do a secondary press and take all the terps out and make a THCA, but you're, it's, it just takes too much time and effort in my mind, and especially on like a commercial scale. But like you have to have a dialed grow and good flour. So people like to talk about that and they like to brag about that. And being here in Colorado, we've got some local competitions and we've always been open. Like if you want to work with us on a competition, we'll enter your flour with our name on it as the extractor and yours is the flour um, company. So it's something that we like. And, and also like we, we like to build brands up. We, we're, we try not to be. Uh, it's a big enough market out here that we tried to work together um, and we want want to work with brands that are like minded and are trying to be positive and not just bottom out everybody. And like we want, we know that products should be a reasonable price and we don't want to be overcharging for people. But at the same time, we, we everybody has to be able to make ends meet. And with 280E and all the stipulations that we have to deal with, um, there's, a, you know, a basic necessity for what prices need to be almost. But um, it's something that we like working with other people. We like working with other grows. Um, we're open to it. It doesn't always work out, but we're definitely, we've, we've chatted with a bunch and worked with some of the great grows in Colorado and it, it's been fun. And, and with, with that collaboration, right? Like that breeds community, but also in this, in this industry, right? There's an aspect of like, who's the best. And one of the things I love about cannabis is like, you know, if you're a real connoisseur, your best might be like a specific product or a couple of products from multiple people, right? Very rarely you're like, this is the the only person in this category I'll ever rock with, right? Everyone kind of has unique, because we have unique palettes, certain strains we like more than others. And then like even the strains we like, maybe eight different people do a cut that you like for various different reasons. Um, but with that kind of comes this competition of like, who's the best. And again, being in a state that's one of the first ones out there, like competition is, is kind of thick. Um, do you feel like that competition in terms of not always, I mean, some people may take it a negative way, but rather just trying to continually bring as quality or better quality than the next person pushes that person to bring more quality, which then in turn pushes you. You can't ever kind of just make something and be satisfied. What's that element of like competition? Do you feel like out there being in when one of the, you know, first established, the first established market in recreational cannabis? And then also like, what are some of the positives that have come from that, like in progression that have come from competition? Definitely. I mean, it's, it's been interesting because when you have like actual, competitions that are run out here it all depends on who enters it um, and how they judge it and judging will just leave alone because that's just it could go a whole bunch of different ways um, but when it comes to like entries like a lot of the times when we enter certain contests 
will be against some people that we think are our competition and we we won't see certain brands in it. We totally understand not every con every, not every brand wants to go into a competition. Um, it's it's everybody's own right to do whatever they want. Um, so it, that we enjoy doing those and it still it feels good when you win a trophy and you place well. Um, and then when you don't win, it makes you think about what you did wrong. You know, a lot of athletes talk about how, you know, you learn a lot more from a loss than a win. Um, but with that, like we still we'll, we'll pull like I'll go into uh, we have a couple friendly dispensaries that we really know well and we work closely with and I'll go into their butt tenders and just be like, can you guys sample? Can you guys pull like two grams of each of the companies that aren't oleo that you think are the best on the table? And then I bring those to the solventless team and we try to break it down and see like, all right, what are we seeing, you know, hmm. on the market? What are we seeing on social and what are we seeing in these different areas? And, you know, with the team that we have, we're all very passionate people. We really like we get hard on ourselves if we don't think something's coming out good enough. And sometimes we're harder on ourselves than we think we should, because then we realize like everything we make is really fucking good. Um, and it's surprising that like when you see a lot of good stuff all the time, it, it not to brag, but just like it, it makes you not realize like how other companies or how things used to be. Um, mm -hmm. But with that, like we always want to make sure that we're doing like we want to see our stuff or we want to see a positive outreach on social media. We want, we, we have a review or we have a feedback form. We always pay attention to issues and call outs on, you know, if there's any problems with the product and we get sample or we get replacements back to people. So we make sure of that. And, uh, you know, we always just try to keep an eye out for what people are doing, what resonates with the community, what people enjoy, because, you know, that's who we're making it for. It's, this is, you know, my hash company. This isn't any one of our companies. This is something that we produce for people to enjoy. And so we want to make sure that, of all the different types of people and all the different consumers out there that, you know, they're enjoying the product as well. No, I, I love that, man. At the end of the day, like you said, it's, it's all about the consumer. They're the end one buying, buying this stuff, which keeps the wheel turning, the, the entire industry turning. And then that word of mouth, you know, feedback is what launches products and what launches strain, you know, even before there was a legal system in place, that's how strains got popular and, and moved along. Um, and, and, and and on that too, with some of the strategy, you, know, you don't got to let out too many of the of the secrets or or, or with this. But um, are there any strains that you personally have have made into hash that you like, but the yield or something is there that's like blocking you from putting it out on the market? But you kind of selfishly like like I don't know. You have a white whale that you're that you're chasing. You don't have to disclose any of the strains specifically. Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of been known about at Olio for a while, and luckily the the grow team figured it out. Um, but it was our juice man for the longest time. Our juice man number six is just like it's got this amazing terpene on it. Just the wash numbers aren't quite there, and the yield numbers weren't quite there. And you know, I, I just basically went to the grow team one day and I was like, guys, we're gonna have to kill this if we don't figure it out. And the numbers aren't getting any better. We've tried a whole bunch of different things. Um, so they're like, all right, like, let's, let's take a look at this. And they figured out like, if you veg it a little bit longer, it takes up time in the cycle and it, it kind of throws off the schedule. But if you time it right, you can start getting like really big yields on it mm. that for, if you can get pull enough flour down of it, and then you have a good enough wash yield, then it works out. And that's something that, you know, kind of really came to light with working in a, a true production facility was it wasn't just focusing on like what is this five pounds going to yield me on washing because that's what my end product is when you're growing it from start to finish you're wondering how many pounds per light can i get that will wash to this percentage that gives me a product that's enjoyable because you don't want to just have some bland non-flavorful hash but 
realizing like all the different steps that goes into figuring out what a true winner is. Um, you know, when you're just purchasing wholesale and washing it, or if you're just doing, you know, things like that, it, it's a totally different numbers game and it's a lot simpler. Whereas when you're starting to grow the whole product and run it from start to finish, you can find a whole lot of different things that, you know, you just got to try to figure out. And juice man was one that we kind of had a joke at the lab, but for a while we'd have like an, I am Spartacus moment. Like if they're like, we have to kill this. You're like, no, you're not killing it. And like every person would stand up fighting against it because it's just something that, I mean, we entered in the solventless vape category um, and we won with it. Like every time, almost every time we enter it in anything, it does really well. It's just a unique terpene that, uh, our unique terpene profile that you don't get from a lot of other strains. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now that's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm always curious. Like whenever I talk to anybody that's on that product side, a grower, extractor, I think they all, everyone seems to have something that they like. That just doesn't, you know, it's it's tough getting it commercially viable, but they're like selflessly yeah. like if if money didn't matter, like this would be the one that. that yeah, I, the, and on, on the other side of that, for the BHO side, because that's where I, you know, cut my teeth getting into this industry. I'd say it's lemon G. Um, it's been a plant that's been around for a long time. I've been working with that since literally the first day I started extracting with butane, um, and that's one I still love to this day. But it's like. It makes sense at certain times, but now it's getting to the point where, you know, our, our grow is pretty much dedicated to solventless. We have a handful of BHO strains or, you know, specific strains that don't yield for solventless. But because of the terpene profiles that you can get on the solventless side of things with all the great breeders out there now, like it, it's much more beneficial to have a strain that can work for both sides mm -hmm. than something that's just, you know, only useful for one. Absolutely. Absolutely. What what, what else does uh, Oleo have on the on the docket for, for 2022 in terms of new products and, and, and refinement coming down? Um, we're R&D in a bunch of new strains. We're working on that. Uh, we've got we've launched uh, in Massachusetts and New Mexico for states outside of Colorado. It's been really fun. And then this live edibles has been a huge thing that we've been working with day three labs to get off the ground, um, getting that production up and getting those to the people, getting really excited about that. And then um, we might have some glass blowers, some other artist things working up. We've got a fun, we're, um, we've got a fun collab we're working on with a local company. It's not a non-cannabis company that should be coming out this fall. That's uh, similar to ones in the past, but a little bit different. Um, so it, it should be fun. We've got a couple things up our sleeve that, uh, we're definitely looking forward to and just seeing how things pan out. But yeah, it's definitely focusing on, uh, keeping the quality high here in Colorado and, uh, diversifying our strain list. I love that, man. Like I said, I, I got to get Colorado's on the on the list. I don't have any travel scheduled as of now, but I got to get out there and try the, try these edibles, man. That's that's been like I said, that's a personal category I've been dabbling in and just enjoying the different product types out there. So I'm I'm super. I was reading a little bit about it, but the way you explained it is like, man, that excites me. I got I got to try that out. Yeah, no, they're they're super unique and they're really fun. And like the people that we have making them are all high end chefs and pastry chefs that helped us design this recipe and it's it's really something that you know we'll, we'll have the non-medicated version sitting around um people are just destroying the bag like eating the <laughs> through the bags and like it's it's a problem to a degree people are like I, I got sick today because i ate too many of these and it's not like they're just over medicated they're not medicated at all they just we you know they're, they're really a great gummy and so we're looking forward to that and all the other products we can do with that but yeah let us know when you're in Colorado. We'd love to get you some samples and let you try some of the stuff out. Definitely. We'll reach out. Well, awesome. Steve, really appreciate you hopping on here. For anyone else out there that wants to find some more information, dabolio.com, O-L-I-O. -O. Same thing. It's on his hat. If you could read it right there. And then at dabolio710 on Instagram. Really appreciate you taking the time out, Steve, uh, for, for hopping on here and, and talking about your journey and, and Oleo in general, man. Definitely appreciate you, man. 
All right. I am Mitch Pfeiffer with RespectMyRegion.com. This is the RMR Podcast. We will be back at you guys with more content later this week.